You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Jess from the Pioneers. I'm Heidi Dusick, and this is the Earn and Invest Podcast. Two different life stories. My father, who died when I was seven years old, always had a premonition that he was going to die young. So whether consciously or not, he wasn't overly concerned with saving for his own retirement. For him, rightly so, the idea that you only live once or YOLO must have been front and center. So he didn't worry much about money. He had hobbies and passions and bucket lists, and he spent on them. He died unexpectedly at the age of 40. I, on the other hand, have always felt that longevity was in my cards, so for me, I passed on YOLO in order to defer gratification and build up a huge retirement or financial independence fund. I have always felt that there will be more time. It's money that I worry about running out of. It's a catch-22. Time versus money, YOLO versus deferred gratification, spend now or save for retirement. Is there any way to capture the best of both worlds? My guests today answer this question with a resounding yes. The simple solution? Something they call slow fi. Are you looking to elevate your asset allocation? Guard your portfolio against volatility? Equity Multiple can help. Invest in professionally managed commercial real estate starting with just $5,000. Establish passive income streams while experienced asset managers go to work on your behalf. Sign up at equitymultiple.com forward slash earn and receive an enhanced return on your first investment. Again, that's equitymultiple.com forward slash earn. Jessica Lynn is the creator and writer of the popular blog, The Pioneers. She embraces the motto that the journey should be as remarkable as the destination and coined the term slow fi to describe her approach to financial independence. Heidi Dusick is the founder and host of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. She describes herself as a catalyst, innovator, and an unshakable optimist. Her forthcoming book is titled Beyond Normal, A Field Guide to Embrace Adventure, Explore the Wilderness, and Design an Extraordinary Life with Kids. Jessica and Heidi, welcome to Earn and Invest. Jessica, let me start with you. Is YOLO, you only live once, a bad thing? I don't actually think that YOLO is a bad thing. I think we have different approaches to what we think YOLO actually means. So actually, when I originally coined the slow fi term, I actually thought of it as the real YOLO, 
like the the thing that allows you to live your one best life. And I'll back up for a second and talk about what slow financial independence actually means to me. So the idea behind slow fi is similar to slow living or slow food, right? It's the focus on intentionality. And for slow financial independence, we're focused on intentionally making decisions to use the financial freedom that we gain along the way to financial independence to design lives that we truly love along the way. And saving and investing allows us to live that best life, right? So for example, it gave me an opportunity to take a six-month career break to deal with a mental health issue. It allowed me to work part-time for you know three days a week and not need to worry about my long-term financial future, right? It's allowed me to build up a business that I absolutely love, that I only do things I want to do, right? And it's allowed me to quit my job to take that full-time, even when it wasn't necessarily covering all of my expenses yet because I knew that I had built this cushion already and I was using my financial freedom to design my life along the way to FI. I didn't need to wait until after I reached a specific milestone because I only live once and I want to live my best life along the way. Heidi, it's interesting because For those of us in personal finance, when we think of YOLO, we think of it as a bad thing. Like you only live once, we worry about losing the chance at taking that money that we spend quote unquote frivolously and using it to invest and compound and make more money in the future. But if you look at the rest of the world, they think of YOLO as a good thing. Like Carpe Diem sees the day It really begs the question, who's right? Let me quote Jessica here from one of her blog posts. She said, because of Coast-Fi and Slow-Fi, I actually fit into the FIRE movement. No, we're talking about financial independence, retire early. Heidi, when you first came upon the financial independence movement, did you feel like you fit in, like this was something for you? Yes and no. So I, unlike you, Jordan, I am the person who ate the marshmallow every single time, right? (laughs) I did not have delayed gratification. I was all about like doing the thing that brought me the greatest joy in the moment. I wanted to be very present in my life. And so this idea that I couldn't necessarily have what I, what would be my ideal life potentially for years to come was a little bit painful at first. However, In the process, I understood the value of freedom in my life, time freedom, location freedom, the ability to really design my ideal life as opposed to like just getting by to get to that ideal life. And so for me, I kind of joke that the metric was less about money and time and more about joy. Like, how am I going to experience joy today? And it became less about the big things, maybe the YOLO defined things, and more about what are the simple things I can do to have, you know, these meaningful moments with my kids? I have three kids. So again, I, I didn't always fit in the stereotypical fire population because I just felt like I had more things anchoring me in my life. And I, I say anchors is like really positive things. These are things that I felt really truly and strongly about. So for me, it was like this mix of finding my space. And ultimately, yes, I do feel like the fire and financially independent population and audience are my people, but it took me a while to find my little niche in that space. 
Jessica, likewise, did you feel the financial independence retire early movement wasn't quite for you when you first encountered it? Definitely. So when I first learned about about financial independence, I thought that it was all about deprivation, right? Like I read blogs and books and listened to podcasts and it all seemed like the white tech bro who (laughs) was spending less than $20,000 a year and making six figures and was reaching five in five years or something, right? And those were the stories that were prominent in the media. Those were the most popular blogs at the time. And that was part of the reason why we decided to start the Pioneers in the first place was because we felt like there was something missing from the message. And so, yeah, I definitely felt like I didn't fit, but I wanted to forge a place where I did and where I knew other people would also identify that might not fit within the FIRE movement at the time. Heidi, let's talk about traditional work. I mean, you did the nine to five thing. You were a teacher. Talk about getting involved in the financial independence movement and specifically the slow-fi movement and how did it affect your feelings about traditional work? Yeah, it's interesting as I've entered into the entrepreneurial space, there's definitely this bias towards anti-W2 work, so to speak, of you know that you need to leave your W2 job to be a successful entrepreneur or to really be fire. And so I have lived a life where I've always felt like work was just simply simply a slice of my life. It's never like I don't love the concept of like work-life balance. I'm like, no, work is just a small portion of my life. But along the way, I've always just found work that I enjoy. And if I didn't enjoy it, I left it. And so I am in a position right now that I actually love. And so for me, it has been less about leaving work or leaving traditional employment, but rather define what I want that work slice of my life to look like. And am I actually thriving in that space? So I have a lot of conversations with my current employer, and I still like the job. I don't have a desire to leave work. I may take extended breaks from work or explore ways that I can have more flexibility at work. But I, to this point, don't feel this urge to quote unquote retire from my job early to enjoy life. I I definitely don't think that for everyone, they need to leave traditional employment to be able to design a life they truly love. Right. For me, that is what made sense as someone who has some mental health challenges working in a traditional, stressful nine to five, 40 hours a week wasn't going to work for me. And it was really helpful to realize that so that I could make the changes to sort of reduce the stressors that, that were causing the, the mental health challenges in the first place. But I think for many people, there's so many options for flexible W-2 work that allows them to live a life that they would truly love, right? So there's people who might be finding a fully remote job that would allow them to be a digital nomad, right? So I have one client right now who that's what she's doing is focusing on having a fully remote job that will allow her to travel to different places for months at a time while she's continuing to work, right? Or there's ways to reduce your hours, work 32 hours a week, or even 
less than that, to have the flexibility that you need, or to negotiate sabbaticals or significant time off from a current employer. I think sometimes people expect that those things are not possible when the reality is in many places that it would be quite possible to to do those things. And I think to Jess's point, you know, there are things that I've always aspired to in life, but it didn't seem responsible. And so I'll just actually use this example. My husband has been a teacher for almost 20 years, and he felt it was irresponsible to leave his job because that's what adults are supposed, quote unquote, right, supposed to do. And so when we started designing our life, I said, well, what would be fun? Like, what what would bring you the most joy? What would be something that feels you know, edgy, feels maybe a little uncomfortable. I like to call it like discomfortable. You don't have to like jump off the edge or anything, but like, what's the margin of comfort for you? And he's like, gosh, it would be so fun to be a ski bum. And I was like, oh, we could do like fun employment or what I've heard lately is financial independence, recreational employment. So you do these side gigs. So there's still some employment potentially, maybe seasonal work, but you get to decide like, what's the thing you want to do? And you don't have to commit to it long-term but it's giving you an option to play in a space that you never felt was a possibility before. So Jessica, I feel like we need some definitions here. You gave us a more full account of what SlowFi is, but can we narrow it down to a single sentence or idea? And specifically, what's the difference between SlowFi and CoSFi? So SlowFi is a philosophy focused on designing a great life while you are building financial freedom and using that financial freedom. Coast-Fi is a specific number, right? So it's a specific milestone on your path to financial freedom. And that is the point at your age where you no longer need to save or invest another dollar to have a comfortable traditional retirement. So based on your age, you've invested enough that it will grow if you don't touch it between now and the age that you want to traditionally retire. And so this means once you reach that number or that financial milestone, you can actually scale back work and only cover your actual costs of living if you want, because you know your traditional retirement is taken care of. So Heidi, as Jess is saying, SlowFi is intentionally slowing down your path to financial independence now. Although it may take longer to reach retirement in the end, you're going to enjoy the pathway much more. Tell me the difference between this and a mini retirement, because in a lot of ways I get confused about how SlowFi differs itself from mini retirements. Yeah, I think a mini retirement or a gap year or sabbatical, I think that's part of the options in the slow fi space. So if you are creating an intentional life and you realize you need a break, you can test that by doing a mini retirement or by doing what I'm calling a gap year. It's There are options in different language that we put behind it. But the pieces that help me get there, and Jess may have a different perspective on this, but the, the piece that helped me get there was having my finances in order. So I had the confidence and I wasn't stressed about taking this space, you know, creating this space in my life to offer that opportunity to experiment. How do I fill my time when I don't have employment filling in that space? For me, those mini retirements are great hmm, intentional experiences or experiments to test what do I want my life to look like and then not relying on work per se to fill in that space for you. 
Jessica, as I was talking about in my introduction, the real risk of financial independence retire early is, like my father, you die young and never get to enjoy the fruits of your labor. I'm going to ask you the same question of SloFi. What is the major risk of SloFi? Good question. So I think that the risk of SloFi is that you aren't Right. I think slow fi is when you're figuring out the correct balance for you on that path. And the risk is getting that wrong. Right. So, for example, I think of someone like Tanya Hester, who knew that she had a medical condition that could potentially keep her from being able to work after the age of 40. If she were to say, well, I'm just going to do slow fi and like, who cares, right. About that, you know, particular thing that may not have been the right choice, right? Like for her retiring early seems like it was the most intentional choice for her. Although there are certain things that I've, I've talked with her since then, where she said, I wish I had just taken the trip, you know, and done certain things right along the path. So I think there's certain risks to saying, like I'm going to not sprint toward financial independence because there are things that could potentially happen in our lives that, you know, fully disable us or, you know, a cancer diagnosis or something like really extreme. But I think the idea is that we want to figure out the right balance for ourselves along this path. So for example, I know and have seen a lot of the research that people over the age of like 50 or 55 are often pushed out of careers before they're ready to retire. And so I I think this is less valid for me now since I'm self-employed, but had I wanted to stay in a traditional career, I think I would have been wanted to be able to be coast five for a retirement age of 55 just to have a hedge against that particular challenge. So I think it's important for people to take into account their own life circumstances to figure out what the what the unique right path is for them. Tanya Hester, of course, is the author of Work Optional and the blogger behind Our Next Life. Heidi, so far we've been really talking theoretical. Let's talk specifics. How has SlowFi played out in your lifestyle and your career? We are a family of five. So it's interesting that we've had a lot of conversations around, does this fit? How can we do this? I see the windows. So my kids are 12, 10, and six at this point. And for a long time, I thought I wanted to travel the world, to do all of these things. And it just felt like I had to wait until retirement to do those things. And so for me, actually, SloFi has given me permission to do those things now. My kids are at an opportunity where I decided, you know, we have this window where things are going to be harder when they're in high school. So we're taking this window of opportunity of like our kids are still, you know, under middle school or less to say, let's start doing these things now, as opposed to me waiting until we're retired to do those things. Things like potentially living in an RV for the summer or things like being slow mads for a little while. You know, all of those are really exciting. And my son was just, we we say yes to a lot more things, I think, from this intentionality of slow fi. Like, let's give it a try. You don't have to decide 
to do these things or not. You know, let's take, let's, I like a little taste test, right? Let's just take a no thank you try. Let's take a little taste test, see if we like it. We don't have to commit to this long-term, but if we love it and this fits us, then we can explore it further. And I felt like if I would have gone down the full FI path, I was really making those decisions without testing them or creating an entire portfolio around what I thought joy was going to look like for our family. And it wasn't really taste tested. So we didn't really do the experimentation we have an experience where my son just tried out for the luge team. Like I probably would not sign up for this. Right. But it was like one of those awkward moments where I was like, sure, go ahead. And then he qualified. So we'll see what happens next. Right. I probably wouldn't have said that. Yes. Because now that means travel for us. That feels like it takes away from family time. So there's things that have given us permission to say, okay, well, let's just try it and see how it goes. I also though have had circumstances that probably were not ideal that have really tested us to say, oh, this is something we didn't think about. So just to go into a little bit deeper detail, we were on an RV trip over Christmas, went to Texas. We were mountain biking, which we love to do. And my daughter had an accident in Texas. I'm from Wisconsin, which required emergency surgery. And so over two calendar years. So talk about understanding what the medical expenses would look like when you're traveling around the country in an RV or potentially out of your area of service or out of network. What did I need to know? And given the fact that I had done some of this research already, I actually felt quite skilled to negotiate with the service providers and ask good questions that I don't know that I would have done if I wasn't FI or exploring slow FI in this concept. Because I just, like I said, I, I just wouldn't have known to ask those questions. Jessica, Heidi was just talking about how she now has the courage to say yes to things that she normally wouldn't have before she discovered slow fi Let's turn that around a little bit. What kind of things have you decided to say no to, especially career-wise because of the slow fi lifestyle? Yeah, that's a great question. So I think ultimately in order to say yes to the things that we want to, we need to say no to a lot of things. That we don't want. And so for me, SlowFi has enabled me to be able to opt out of a toxic job and to be able to say no to working a full time 40 hour a week job. And when I was working part time, to say, you know, this isn't going to fit into my three day work week. And if you want me to do this, I can't do this. Right. And and setting those really clear boundaries around the things that I don't really want in my life. Right. And now as as a business owner, there's a lot of thought that goes into it because now like I don't want to be a business owner if I have to work crazy hours. Right. People are like, entrepreneurship is hard and you need to work 50, 60 hours. So why quit your regular job to do that? I don't necessarily think that that's the case all of the time. I think it's important to prioritize. And now the boundaries that I'm setting are with myself, right? To say, I'm not going to take on all of this, you know, extra work with the shiny object syndrome and, you know, all of the things. I'm going to figure out what the absolute most important things are for me to do. And I'm going to do those things so that I can design a business 
that enables me to live the life that I want and do that in 25 hours of work a week. And so there's some some definite boundaries, you know, with others and but also most importantly I think boundaries with myself. Heidi, I want to talk about compound interest, but I want to do it in a sort of roundabout way. My wife and I were watching YouTube videos the other day, and we found one that looked very much slow fi and it was about this person who in their 20s became financially independent by buying two properties in their mid-20s, spending two years fixing them up, and then selling them for a huge profit. And that allowed them to retire early. But the point this person was making is that if they could do it again, it was two years of really tough work and maybe they would have done it differently. Now, maybe I'm old, right? I'm 48 years old and I went through medical school, but I mean, aren't we supposed to work really hard in our 20s, especially when we have all that time ahead of us so that we can make a lot of money, put it in the stock market and allow it to compound Is there anything wrong, per se, with hard work at the beginning of your career, even if you don't love it at first? I think it's a good question, and I think it's one you have to decide for yourself. I don't know that there's always the exact answer of what you should do. I don't like to should on people, just just to be clear. I have felt that my 20s, I enjoyed it, but I also worked hard. And I don't regret that because it gave me a little bit of space to pay off debt and to figure out what I didn't and did I did and did not want in life. So I do think it's up to you to decide. You know, Jordan, I would never say, oh, you shouldn't have gone to college. Like that was a really <laughs> bad decision for you. I don't think that's my place to answer that question. But I also think I find that I the peaks of my joy are more rich and more meaningful because I did struggle, that it gives relevance to that. You know, if I was just continuing to thrive and life was easy, I don't know that I would really appreciate what I have. I've established that our family budget is $75,000 a year with three kids. Like that's just where we fit. Now I make more than that. We make much more than that as a family and we could spend more, but we've just chosen like it's sometimes good to have a little struggle in there because you get a little bit more creative. It's almost like, you know, I've got this tube of toothpaste and when it's full, I just squirt it out all, well, my kids squirt it out all (laughs) over the place. You know, we make a mess of it. We don't really use what we have effectively, but, but let me tell you when that toothpaste is like down to the wire, we are like scrunching it and squeezing it and rolling it and cutting the ends off. Like we're using everything we can because there's a little bit of a struggle in there. We get a little bit more creative with the resources that we have, because we're a little, there's a constriction, there's barriers to making and and using the full resources that we have. So I do think sometimes that struggle helps us get higher or, you know, more joy out of the experience, gets us more creative and use different types of solution building processes. Heidi, I love what you're saying there. And it sort of gets us out of this black and white thinking, right? Mm -hmm. So with the question of, in your 20s, should you enjoy your life or should you save, right? Like that seems like a false dichotomy, right? Like I think you're then finding along that spectrum, what is the right place for you, right? So for example, I would say there were many things that I enjoyed about my 20s and I did not generate, I did not make a lot of money, right? So my first job out of college, I was a street canvasser, in New York city for a charity. So I was literally like stopping people on the street and having them give me their credit cards to 
sign up for like a monthly donation, which was like the worst, but it was a recession job. And then I did AmeriCorps and made $11,000 a year for the first, you know, for the year. And then that sort of catapulted me into a job that then I made like 40,000 and I felt like I was rolling in the dough. Right. And there was, right. So it wasn't like I took a path where I did, like I script, like I totally deprived myself, did something I totally, you know, did work that I totally hated just so that I could save a ton of money so I could be coast by and then do what I wanted. Right. I took the $11,000 job to work in the nonprofit. I then decided to continue working in nonprofit. We had gotten used to living on a total of 30,000 a year. And so when we started making more, it was like, oh, now we can go out to dinner every once in a while. And like, now we can rent a place that's a tiny bit more expensive with a dishwasher. But with that mentality and with that struggle, right, we still reached Coast Fi by the age of 31, 32 and, and, and got to that point. And, you know, at, it was interesting too during that time because I definitely wasn't into the finances at that point. And so I was like, I want to spend my money. I want to go do the thing. And my husband was like, you know, we're starting to make a little bit more money now. So we can do both. Like we can save some of it and we can use some of it to actually go on vacation and to actually, you know, inflate our lifestyle in the ways that really mattered to us and that really brought joy into our lives. And so I do think it's possible to find a balance for yourself and still get to Coast by at a fairly young age. And I do want to say, you know, having some understanding of your finances is really critical. So we learned about different rules of financial independence. My husband's a teacher, has access to a 457. So when we learned about that and the rules around a 457, it gave us a different mindset of like, let's go all in on a 457 for you as opposed to his four. I'm sorry if I'm talking jargon here, but a 457 is a deferred compensation plan often available to public employees. And for the, just so people know, you can use those things for things like housing. And you should really talk with your financial advisor about this. Obviously, this is just, you know, not advice or just know that this is an option and explore it. But when we learned the rules around 457, that gave us permission to say, well, let's optimize that as a potential to explore what life might be like if we decided to leave work before age 59 and a half. How could we use that tool in our toolbox? And so, what we probably wouldn't have done had we not known that is we probably just would have done what everybody does and, you know, give the whatever percentage, the the corporate match for the company share option of 3% or 4% to our 401ks or our 403bs. And we had a pension. So we put just leaned on the pension, but understanding the tools that are available through financial independence or through the financial space gave us more options and really helped us make more confident decisions because we could then really think about different ways or different periods of our lifetime when we could utilize these tools. So under 59 and a half, we have different options than we do for traditional retirement. And I think understanding 
all of that, when you think about compound interest is it's not always a black and white answer either in terms of what tools are available to you at what points in your life. There's a lot of different options. And so, especially as we consider things like a gap year, that looks different than what age 65 is going to look like. And the tools we use to finance our life at that point are going to be very different. And our kids are going to be very different point. You know, I think there's a lot of different options. And I do go back to Jess's point that I don't think it's black and white because there are so many variables in our life at 20 is very different than 40. 40 is very different than 60. And so having some concepts around what do I want at these periods of my life actually does help you lean into the different tools that you can utilize. We're talking to Jessica Lynn, who is the writer behind The Pioneers, and Heidi Dusick, who is the creator and producer of the Ordinary Sherpa podcast. We're going to take a short break. I'm Doc G, and this is the Earn and Invest podcast. All right, so most of us know the bad news already. If you were using Mint as a budgeting app, it has shut down. But the good news is... There's something better, and it's called Monarch Money. I started using Monarch Money myself about five months ago, and I knew immediately that I liked it more than any other budgeting app I had ever used. For one, it focuses on collaboration. This is easy to share with your spouse, your partner, your financial advisor, and it's aspirational. Not only can you look at your current budget, but what do you want to buy? What do you want your goals to be? You can focus on those in Monarch Money. It's the next generation of personal finance apps. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Furthermore, you can create custom budgets, track progress toward financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. Again, that's monarchmoney.com E-A-R-N. What I like about this app is it's intuitive, easy to use, quick to sign on. It's collaborative, as we talked about. It's customizable. The idea is you can use this app the way you want to use it. And the reason why is the Monarch Money team is customer-focused. They are focusing on you, me, and all the other people who want to use this app to live a better financial life. After trying out Monarch Money for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, listeners of this show will get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com earn. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day free trial. Over 30,000 investors across the U.S. are discovering a new way to build wealth. Equity Multiple brings you access to a diverse wealth generation ecosystem with cash-flowing real estate. Starting with just $5,000, you can allocate to professionally manage commercial real estate assets. Sign up in minutes, find investments that fit your strategy, and invest your desired amount through a streamlined, secured platform. Since 2015, Equity Multiple has delivered over $170 million in distributions to investors and 17.4% aggregate net return. Join the thousands of investors nationwide who are building stronger, more diversified portfolios through real estate investing. Sign up at equitymultiple.com forward slash earn and receive an enhanced return on your first investments. All investments involve risk and past performance is no guarantee of future results. Again, that is equitymultiple.com forward slash earn. 
Let me reintroduce you. We are talking to Jessica Lynn. She embraces the motto that the journey should be as remarkable as the destination and coined the term slow-fi to describe her approach to financial independence. Heidi Dusick is the author of the forthcoming book, Beyond Normal, A Field Guide to Embrace Adventure, Explore the Wilderness, and Design an Extraordinary Life with Kids. Let's talk about slow-fi versus the traditional financial independence retire early movement. The traditional FIRE movement defines enough based on a net worth number, the safe withdrawal rate of 4% or the 25 times rule, the idea that you take what you spend in a year and multiply it by 25, and that's your financial independence number. That's what enough looks like for traditional FIRE. What does enough look like for the slow FI movement? Yeah, that's a great question. So Ultimately, right, I think every answer that I say is it depends, right? It depends on each person's situation. However, I would say when I was thinking about financial independence, retire early, I wasn't confident that 4% or the 25 times rule would be enough, right? Like I wasn't because there's a chance that, you know, things in the future aren't going to be the same as they were in the past. Inflation could be higher, right? Any sorts of things could happen. Whereas now that I'm taking a slow fi approach, I'm like, oh, 4% actually sounds great for the future when I get to that place. And the reason why is that I have different income streams that are easily like that I'm a it's a lot easier at least to be able to scale scale those up and down, right? When I was thinking about financial independence and quitting and never working again. Getting to a place where, oh, I would need to be flexible and maybe need to generate 10K a year doing something, that seemed scary. Like, I haven't worked in 10 years. How am I going to gen- generate 10K a year? I have to go to like work at Starbucks or do some, you know, something like that. Whereas having different income streams, it's a lot easier to think, oh, I could scale this up and I could, like, I could easily generate 10K a year if I needed to in a variety of different ways. And so I feel like that gives me a lot more confidence in the plan and a lot more, like it it feels a lot more flexible and it feels like depending on the year, I might be able to say like 5% or even more of withdrawal would, would be fine if it's a good year, knowing that I can a lot more easily adapt to downturns, taking a slow fi path. Heidi, a moment ago, we were talking about what enough looks like. Let's turn that around, though. And we're talking about you specifically, because obviously it's different for each person. But what does too little look like? Because sometimes I worry with slow fi, what if we're not making enough money? How do we know that maybe we have to be a little bit more aggressive in our plan? Yeah. I think there's a couple pieces for me personally that if my, I like to look at various forms of capital just (laughs) so if I realize my social capital is being diminished because I'm so focused on getting money that I'm not spending time with the people I enjoy, that's something I need to take into consideration. Another form of capital I like to think about is my well being capital. So am I actually healthy in this space? Is this causing me, you know, a lot of anxiety? Is my physical abilities being restricted? Am I not exercising? Am I not eating well? Am I not sleeping well? All of those factors actually are really important to a thriving life. And so 
I guess any of those factors are really a good self-reflection practice to go, am I actually thriving in this moment? Because if it's not, and if it's because of money, then I need to make some adjustments. It could be something else. But for me, having that little checkpoint, and again, social capital and well-being capital are both really important to me personally. It may not be as important to others, but those are two things that I will check myself occasionally and say, ooh, I'm spending a lot of time on my screen lately doing the work and my kids are questioning me. That's a checkpoint. Or, you know, I think there's other ways that when we go too far that it's easy for us to <laughs> go down the, the rabbit hole sometimes and not have a checkpoint. And for me, those are the two that I would say I've gone too far. I, I would also say like it's, a, it's similarly to what Heidi was saying checking in regularly with yourself to say like, do I love my life? Right. And if the answer is no, then you can dig in and say, okay, let me think about the, all of the different areas of my life. Let me think about my work, think about my finances, think about my relationships, think about my well-being, think about my learning and curiosity and fun and play and adventure and like the things that I say that I value. And let me figure out which ones are not a 10 out of 10, right? Or which ones are which ones are lower on that scale so that I'm able to focus on those things and to say, okay, what would enable me to get to this place? And if the answer is more money, then that's an important thing. That's a really important point to pay attention to. Heidi, I believe the SloFi term was coined in 2017. This is well before COVID, the pandemic and the pandemic recession. How do you think SloFi has changed during these last few years, especially with all the stress and trauma? Has the movement changed or pivoted with current events? Yeah, I did not necessarily necessarily find SloFi until roughly 2020, actually. And it was not, it was probably before the pandemic, but it was really close. It's hard to tell which, which came first, SloFi or the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I can't keep track anymore. But for us, it has definitely changed. So actually going back, I think it was even 2019 or 2020, I was creating kind of goals around what I wanted my life to look like. And 2020, I turned 40 in 2020, actually like the day the world shut down was my 40th birthday. Happy birthday to you. You get a pandemic. And I remember feeling like this was going to be the best year of my life. I was so excited for 2020 because I had really shifted this concept of chasing Phi to slow things down and not necessarily be my, my quote for the year was every day is going to feel like vacation. And what vacation meant to me was family connection time. It meant having these fun adventures where we got out of daily life, where we were tested and we had to push our own boundaries. Well, ironically, the pandemic helped us experiment with all of those things, things like homeschooling. I never really probably would have done that had I not been forced to. Our travel plans, you know, that were all exclusive, you know, extremely exciting plans for the year, obviously altered radically in the midst of the pandemic. So everything I thought my FI life, I wanted in my FI life, I actually got to test it in this little window under the worst circumstances possible. And I was like, well, if we can make this work, then this is potentially what we should lean into. So it helped me reframe that adventure is not a big bucket list item. 
it are, it is these little things in our backyards. We took Wednesday afternoon field trips in our backyard or in a local area that we didn't know. It required us to explore things differently. It allowed us to get more creative, to meet neighbors on the road, you know, as we were walking past each other. So for us, I do think the pandemic handed us a silver lining and said, here's an opportunity to test everything you think you want, but you don't know how to do it under the traditional circumstances. And we were able then to say, oh gosh, it was the first time we ever rented an RV. And now we're potentially going to be part-time living in an RV, you know? So it definitely handed us an opportunity to say, why not this? Let's try this. (laughs) Even though, you know, I probably wouldn't have signed up for that under those circumstances, but I think it was a great gift. Jessica, I'd ask the same thing of you. You were there from the beginning. How do you see SlowFi has changed over the pandemic and how do you see it changing in the future? I think the biggest thing that's changed about it is that more people get it and more people are interested in being intentional about designing their lives along the way to Fi, right? The pandemic gave us I think of, while really hard, gave a lot of people a unique opportunity to step back a little bit from their work and to have a little bit more brain space to say, like, is this the life that I want? Right. And it it exacerbated many of the challenges that so many people were facing that it, I think, pushed us to make different decisions. So for me, right, I had my sort of crisis moment back in 2018, right, when I needed to take that, you know, six months off of work and I got to a crisis point where I had to move in a different direction. I think the pandemic contributed to that for a lot of people and got people to that sort of mental crisis moment where they knew I need to make some changes in my life. And then for me specifically, I think similar to to Heidi, it gave me an opportunity to experiment with some things and have a little, being someone who doesn't have kids, I had more time, right? As opposed to less time to, to do some things. And so I actually launched my coaching business in April of 2020. Like, and it it was in the works long before the pandemic, right? And so I was able to continue to move forward with that. But then I had a little bit more time to be able to focus on building that and ended up leaving, quitting my part-time job quite a bit earlier than I was expecting, right? So about nine months later, I quit to take the business, quote unquote, full-time. And a big part of that was one, not having a commute and having sort of less time focused on work so that I had more brain space to focus on building my business. And then I think two, the pandemic exacerbated all of the things that I hated about HR, like having to figure out all the policies and what it meant for employees and all of the things, right? There were days that I just remember like, spending two hours just like reading through government documents and then like laying on my couch for an hour because I just couldn't see straight because I was so exhausted and being like, I don't want to do this anymore. 
And so it, it felt easier to like get to that point to say, okay, I'm not willing to put up with something that's just mediocre. I want to do something, you know, I want to, I want to move toward the life that I really want more quickly. To Jess's point, I do think there was this external, oh, what's the word? There was kind of this external expectation that we all wanted to go back to normal. And I really felt like I wanted to give space and permission for people to not want to go back, to go. And part of the reason I actually wrote the book was to like, don't go back to normal, go beyond normal, go beyond what you thought was possible stretch out of your comfort zone and find your community. So I think the biggest part for COVID in my world was the lack of community. They say you're like the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I have three kids and a husband and a dog. And I'm telling you that average was diminishing by the day. And I was like, (laughs) I need community. I need to find people that I can connect with. And that was unlike anything I had ever done before in a different realm. So in some ways, I think if we listen to the external narratives and we believe them, it can be a, a tricky trap of like, well, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to think? And it gave me the space to say, I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want that to be what my life is anymore, even though I had a very rich life and I liked my life. It gave me permission. And I I hope it gave a lot of other people permission to really question what life could be and what do you want your new normal to look like? Jessica, I feel like difficult journeys always start with that first step. So if you're listening right now and you're like, slow fi sounds great to me, what is that first step to take? How do we get started? It's a great question. So it depends on where your starting point is. So if your starting point is you've been pursuing financial independence and have been focusing on your personal finances for a while, then the first step could be, where am I and what do I really want? Like, what can can my current finances allow me to do, right? And I have a, a tool actually that I created mostly for myself, right? To to get myself to a point to say, how can I use my finances to empower me to make decisions that it can improve my life, right? And so figuring out like how much FU money I have. So how much money do I have that I can use that's sort of liquid cash or investments that will allow me to get out of a bad situation or take advantage of an opportunity? What is that? And how many months of expenses is that? The next one is, am I coast by? That gives me a lot of clarity about the kinds of work decisions that I can make. Or I'm coast by if I stop working, if I stop investing more, is there a certain age at which I will have that crossover point because of compound interest? Or there's another number for me that that was really helpful, which was if I stopped investing now, but just covered my cost to 65, what would the value of my portfolio be at that point? That was a key number to be like, oh, I don't need to oversave. Like I don't need to oversave by that much. Like that would be, you know, that, that, like, that seems like a waste of my life to sort of push to oversave, right? So so I think the first step is to figure out where you are and what kinds of options that would afford you to take and then start to think about, well, what do I really want? 
and, and it could be, maybe you need some time for burnout recovery, right. To be able to figure that out. But I think the key is knowing where you are and that you can take some steps toward building a life that you, you would truly love. For someone who has not been sort of focused on their personal finances up to this point, I would say, I guess the advice is not that much different in that I think the first step is to figure out where you are financially. Do you, are you in debt? Are you in a debt repayment process? Are you building up your emergency fund, right? So figuring out where you are in that process. And I do think that people assume that they need to be far down the path in order to make changes that improve their life. I don't think that's necessarily the case. I think as you're paying off debt and you're decreasing your expenses, right? That means that you don't need to generate as much income. And so if you need to work four days a week to recover from burnout for a period of time, that could be a possibility for for you along the path to FI or to say, I feel more confident because I'm in a better, I'm getting myself to a better financial position that I'm going to set boundaries or I, you know, and, and sort of make a decision about what is that next financial milestone that I want to get to and what pace do I want to get there to be able to take advantage of the freedom that that offers. Well, Heidi Dusek and Jessica Lynn, I wanted to thank you for coming on the show today In the forever argument between YOLO, you only live once, and deferred gratification, I think that SloFi is the best answer because the best answer is both. We need to learn how to both YOLO and defer gratification. SloFi is one of the most coherent ways to do that. I want to end this episode the way I end every episode by asking you what is up next in your life and where can we find you? Jessica, let's start with you. What is going on with you and how can people get in touch with you if they'd like to? So what's up next is my husband and I are in the process of building a camper van that will be done over the next couple of weeks. So we are excited for that and to take some road trips. This summer, we're doing a three-week Canada, Maritime Canada trip, and then going to start exploring, doing some like living and working out of the van, you know, for, for short periods of time. So we're super excited about that. And where you can find me, my website is thefioneers.com. So pioneers, but with an F, right? So for financial independence. And I can be found on Twitter and Instagram at thefioneers. And then I do have a private Facebook group for people who are interested in SloFi called SloFi Enthusiasts. And you can find that at thefioneers.com slash FB for Facebook. And Heidi, tell us all about your book coming out beyond normal. When will it be out? Where can we find it? And how can we get in touch with you if we want to learn more? Yeah, the book is Beyond Normal, as you said, a field guide to really help families adventure. So if you have kids or not, it's really a way to embrace adventure and explore the wilderness, much like Jess already referred to as living in a camper van, but you don't have to live in a camper van to have these experiences. Uh, It actually comes out May 17th, so it should be alive and well on Amazon, or you can pre-order it on my website at OrdinarySherpa.com. 
In terms of our life, my husband resigned from his teaching job and is exploring his own version of what Slowify might look like. I am continuing to stay employed, but I can be found on the podcast Ordinary Sherpa, which is really designed to help families connect through simple and authentic adventure experiences. And we I, I mean, there's really hard to keep up with us, quite honestly. So it's best to probably just watch our Instagram, listen to the podcast, because we're all over the place. We also will be in Alaska and Canada and Idaho for much of the summer. So this has been the Earn and Invest podcast. And by having myself, Doc G, I'd like to thank Heidi Dusek and Jessica Lynn. That's a wrap. Awesome. As you guys know, I keep the audio going just for a few minutes as we chat. Um, thank you for coming on. I think SloFi is important. I do actually think it's one of the best answers we have right now to both building a financial framework as well as embracing what's going on in our life at the moment and not letting money get in the way because, you know, I fervently believe money is a tool, not a goal. And we have to start mm-hmm. seeing it as a tool again to having better lives. And I think we've lost sight of that, at least in the financial independence movement. I think in the world as a whole, sometimes you have right the opposite issue, which is they burn through money sometimes way too fast. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. So. It's interesting, Jordan, because I, being that I work for a foundation and have worked in philanthropy for a number of years, I probably would have questioned FI or FIRE much sooner had I not seen it actually in real life. Like I saw people's investments. Now I've been managing a portfolio for a foundation that started in 1996 and only, I mean, they spend at least 5% each year and it's thriving, you know? So I think there have been plenty of examples for me to see that. If I was to so go back and like, look at my twenties, I I probably would have still done things differently though. (laughs) There are days I don't like regret my twenties, but boy. I could have really utilized some compound interest in my 20s. Jessica, how does it feel to have coined the term SLOFI? I mean, it really rolls off the tongue of everyone who's interested in financial independence, at least. Um, It's an idea that's really taken off. Does it feel? Um, I'm glad. I'm excited. I'm happy that it's like something that's part of the vernacular now and that people are seeing it as a viable option for them in in their lives. I know actually it started when I started actually doing those slow fi interviews in 2019. Um, And actually I I didn't call it slow fi right away. I called it like slowing down on your path to fi. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And then I was like, this is way too long. Um, but it was like, that was around the time I was learning about like semi-retirement and coast by and, you know, and I was like, I want to do this, but I don't know anyone who is taking this approach, but I knew there would be people out there. And so that was why I started the interview series was to find people who were actually using their financial freedom along the way to fight using it and not jeopardizing they're com- yeah. a comfortable traditional mm-hmm. retirement and what that looked like for people. Um, you know, and, and it evolved, right. So several months later it became slow fi. Um, so it was tw- actually 2019 that the, we, t- we coined the term. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to see how it's evolved. Um, 
And it's, it's actually interesting. I've, I've been like getting into more recently listening to or reading books and stuff of just like the slow living movement or the slow movement. Um, And there's so many, there's so many parallels to it that, that, you know, it was like, I sort of knew about the slow movement and slow food and, you know, had done some, some like research and, you know, thinking about that. Um, But as I get further into it, it's like, oh, this, this absolutely aligns with so much, so much of that with the focus being on intentionality. It's so funny that you mentioned that Jess, because I would have never embraced slow life, anything, right. I, (laughs) I've never been slow. So I joke because like, when I talk about adventure being like the uncomfortable new experience, slow life is the uncomfortable new experience for us. And it's so interesting that it like, it fits, even though I'm not like, I wouldn't typically have described myself that way. So it's really funny. It feels really good to be productive, but a lot of the time it's easier said than done, especially when you need to make time to learn about productivity so you can actually, you know, be productive. But you can start your morning off right and be ready to get stuff done in just a few minutes with the Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day podcast. New episodes drop every weekday, so listen and subscribe to Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. That's Inc. Productivity Tip of the Day wherever you get your podcasts. The corporate world is like the ocean. It's alluring, but it's also full of deadly creatures that can shred you to pieces. It becomes kind of like a Game of Thrones political arena where everyone's trying to murder you to get your job. My family doesn't come from corporate backgrounds, so I didn't have any sort of guidance in that. This is not your typical work podcast. Sometimes you need to be empathetic. And then there are times that you ask for input, but you don't really give a shit. <laughs> Listen to the Ambie Award-nominated podcast, Surfing Corporate. <laughs> Stretch opportunity. What is this, yoga class? Get out of here. <laughs> 